Welcome to The Connection. A podcast to connect you to the parish of Yates and Froomside Benefice. My name is Howell. And I'm Justin. We are your hosts sharing with you the connection between faith and everyday living. So on this episode of The Connection, we have another interview from On the Sofa at Magnify. Julia from Froomside, why do you interview people on the sofa at Magnify? Well, everyone that knows me knows I like chatting informally with a cup of tea. And so On the Sofa has really taken off and it's become quite popular at Magnify because all we're doing is chatting to somebody on the sofa very informally about their life. And about their faith as well. About their faith, importantly, yes. So who else, who have you had on Magnify over the last year or so then? We've had the PCC officer from uh, Froomside. We've had lots of lay people. Uh, We've had ordained people, not giving any names. And uh, people that are involved with children's work. Um, Oh no, all sorts of different people. So it's about interviewing ordinary Christian people about their life in an informal way. So that's what we're going to hear this month from On The Sofa at Magnify. Hello David. Hello. I'd like to, mel- I'd like to welcome David Jones, the Reverend David Jones, um, who's part of the benefice for two and a half years. Okay. And that time you have been deaconed and now preparing to be priested in July. Okay. Yes, indeed. Now, on these sofa chats, I don't like to put anybody on the spot, but I do like to ask them a little bit. I'll go back to my seat then. (laughs) (laughs) I do like to, I'm nosy, I'm nosy. I like to ask a few things about the background of somebody, because I think everyone's interested to hear what your work and your calling. Very briefly, if you can share that with us, your church experience and life. Uh, Church experience, well, I've... I started going to church when I was about six years old and to be honest it seemed the lesser of two evils between that and going to my grandparents house for several hours Um, and yeah so that's how I started going to church Um, I was asked if I would be church warden when I was in my early 20s um, which I was foolish enough to do at the time Um, and uh, then I was uh, chair of the East Bristol Partnership of Churches and then I went on to be Deanery Lay, lay Chair. Uh, in the meantime I'd gone from um, ins- insurance administration role into uh, five weeks as a stay-at-home dad that clearly was not working out very well um, and I never got any of the to-do list done anyway. <laughs> um, and then went to drive buses for 11 years and then was a supervisor really? at the bus company for a couple of years. God, it's quite diverse. Yeah. Really, yeah. yeah. Pay, a young pay, person as you are. Pay, you know, it paid the bills. Quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that led you into more involvement with church? I think there had always been an, a niggle. Some sort of niggle right there in the back. Just a little prod that said... I should be doing something more than I was doing, you know. I was a crucifer, I was a church warden, <coughs> but somehow that wasn't, didn't quite seem to be where I was meant to be. I think it was part of a journey to be where I was meant to be, but it was, mm. it was steps along the way and not, 
and not somewhere. It was necessarily the end point. God just kept prodding along. Um, Obviously, you like people if you were a bus driver. Well, that's quite interesting because um, bus drivers are notoriously ignorant. So I'm so sorry to any of my former colleagues who don't feel that that fits them. But you don't get to talk very much as a bus driver. You are you're quite pretty much on your own. So you know, you drive from one bus stop to the next, and a few people might get on and they might get off. And and if you're lucky, they'll say cheers, drive as they get off. But they generally there's not an awful lot of conversation. Some of my favourite routes were those where you get to know the passengers a bit more. So um, I did the eights and nines up around Clifton and Redland, and once you get past the rush hour, there are some lovely old ladies up there that'll have a bit of a chat with you. And um, I did a route for a while that went out to Marshfield. So once you get beyond Kingswood, mm-hmm. they're all regulars, and they, and they take an interest in your life, and you can take an interest in their life. Mm-hmm. But generally... Uh, it's, it's not a job for being a people person as being a bus driver. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> right, that's really interesting. So what difference have you noticed of being on placement in the benefits to becoming an ordained person? I think something to do with... Well, you can be as cynical as you like about ordination. But I genuinely believe that something happened to me on the day of my ordination as a deacon. Um, And from there, there is something that gives a greater authority to the things that I do. Because I don't believe that it's me doing them. I believe that there was a transaction through the bishop between me and God through the power of the Holy Spirit at that ordination that then means that when I speak in church, when I speak to people in school, when I speak to people in the street and I'm, and I'm dressed in my vicar outfit, or even when I'm not dressed in my vicar outfit, actually, there's something that makes me a vessel of that interaction between them and God. And it's not, it's less me and more something that is beyond a reasonable explanation. That's a nice expression, actually, a vessel, mm. isn't it, really? And what's that, the responsibility? You ha- obviously have a lot more responsibility now than what you had before. I think there is a lot more responsibility, but I'm not sure that I bear all of the weight of it. Um, and that's not only because I'm part of a, a really good team and somebody else ultimately takes the responsibility, but it's because there's an authority in that role that, mm. that means that I don't necessarily have to know it all or know in advance it will come. I suppose if that structure of being a church warden, being a young person being a church warden, I, must have laid the Yeah, I think it was ahead for you, I think it? it was the prod of 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 my church that I was called to something. I don't think they quite had it right that I was called to be church warden, but they needed to fill a post at the time. Yeah. Um, and I do think that those steps that I went through put me in a good place in order to understand what it meant to be a, a, a person in the church that, that had a function and a role. Um, and, and hopefully I did a, a good job at that. Um, mm. and, and there are some, some things like, you know, I chaired the PCC while the church was an interregnum. Um, and so to keep a church on track when it could easily go wayward was was an interesting challenge that will now be a valuable skill yes. through ministry. <laughs> of course. That, 
it's good to come with some idea of what might happen, I think. Mm. <laughs> so what are you looking forward to, to being priested in July? I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to is to be able to um, play a bigger part in the Eucharist. For me, who's always been somebody who gains my spiritual fulfilment through the Eucharist, where I think I get my weekly, twice weekly at the moment, at least, fix of um, spirituality. There is a, a genuine exchange between me and God in the transaction of the Eucharist. To be the person who enables that for other people. There's already a, some of that when you take home communions to people. Um, but, but actually to be the person responsible and... No, God's responsible. But the person who is fulfilling that role on God's behalf um, in, in making that happen for other people, I think I'm hugely looking forward to. Um, blessings generally to people at the moment if I give any form of blessing then it has to be a, a, a non-wholehearted this is not me blessing you on God's behalf but this is me asking for God's blessing upon you that, that I'm sure that will feel a bit different there's something about the weight of God's presence in it that, that makes me think that there will be something magnificent that I don't quite yet understand but but something else will happen at the next ordination that, that will enable that to happen through me. So it's something really special for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it is for all of us, yeah. but just thinking of people who might be listening to this, this uh, interview, you sound a very structured person. Are you a very structured person, David? No. Yeah. Do you like... No, I... I Would Elaine say you were a structured <coughs> No. <coughs> um, I have conditioned myself to be... Um, quite well organised but it's not my natural pattern to be well organised it's something that I've had to focus on and mm -hmm. um, set things in place in order to ensure that things happen that need to happen so yeah no structure is not uh, something that comes naturally to me mm -hmm. so you worked very hard by the sound of it well I used to I have a, a, a technique of doing everything the night before it was due um, and actually, the more things you have to do, the, the less chance you've got of making that happen. And I'm now somebody who works from lists and um, has a very attractively multicolored diary to. Uh, to uh, Still very organised, very, yeah, very commendable, very good. If we think about our theme tonight, we'll go back to this now. And so, thank you for sharing all about your background and your call in, in a way, in a very brief way. But about self-control, that's what we're thinking of this evening. How would you explain that? Well, I, see, I find it fascinating that I'm the person talking about self-control. Mm -hmm. You don't get to be almost 17 stone um, if you have a great deal of self-control. Um, <laughs> we all have a vice, and mine is chocolate, biscuits, crisps, <coughs> burgers, kebabs, anything, you know, food. And, and, and I... I thoroughly lack any self-control. And in thinking about this, I was thinking, where is the boundary between self-control and lack of temptation? And I think we pray regularly, hopefully, when we do the Lord's Prayer, not to lead us into temptation. And for me, 
my self-control perhaps lies in not being overly tempted into things. But when I think back to my time as a smoker, for instance, it was self-control and God that caused me to stop smoking. Um, I think God without, stopped me smoking. Well, because um, I decided that instead of smoking, I would pray. And actually, that kind of works. At the point that I decided I wanted to stop smoking, um, I began to feel a bit inferior because a couple of my friends had given up. They smoked much more and for much longer than me. Um, it's always the challenge of other people that makes you want to do things in that. Um, then at the very same time, my brother-in-law gave me a whole bag of um, stop smoking aids that he'd been prescribed by his doctor. And Unfortunately, he never used them, um, but they were quite useful for me um, for, for a little while. Gosh, what size bag was it? Well, it was a, a it was a big bag. It was some um, patches okay. and gum and tablets and all sorts of. Uh, my method was to use the gum that tasted absolutely nothing like mint, well, but um, it was meant to be mint. Um, but I don't think that was the key. I think the key was that. There was prayer, and there was mm. God, and there was some element of self-control in that. Yeah, so it must be difficult if you've really got into a habit. Well... Because it's, it's a habit, isn't it, really? It's yeah, yeah. Like when I was thinking about self-control, I was thinking of some of the people that I've interacted with that, that mm. do have issues. Um, there is a, a gentleman that I used to see down at the Wild Goose fairly regularly who every week would put his week's wages into the... Um, the the gambling machines in the betting shop. Um, now I've not seen him for the last few visits down there. Mm. Now I hope that is because the government put a restriction on how much you could put into these machines. Um, but I haven't seen him to know that. But as I say, when 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 I thought of self control and I thought of temptation, and it's particularly key at this time of Lent. I, I kind of thought of, of years ago when I gave up chocolate for Lent and all that really made me do was realise how much biscuits were a really good substitute. <laughs> That's not showing any self-control. And if, if I were to say, well, I'm going to give up running for Lent, for example, it wouldn't be showing any self-control if I managed to achieve it because I've never done it. But those things that... That, that where we are tempted, that's when we need the self-control. And, and I realised, as the person going to be sat on the sofa tonight, that perhaps I should demonstrate more self-control and uh, lose a stone or two. Right, well, this might be a tricky um, question to ask you, the final one. How would you explain this self-control as a gift rather than something that many people dread in a Christian journey? Because we are thinking about the gifts of the Spirit, aren't we? I think, well, I think that perhaps the lack of temptation and the thing of self-control are somehow linked. If, when, when we pray to not be tempted, then it makes self-control much easier. And I think that, as with the example of giving up smoking, it took some self-control, but it also took a lot of God to make that happen. And I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we ask for the Holy Spirit's help, the Holy Spirit will give us some help. And so we're talking gifts of the Spirit, and the gift of that Spirit would be that when we have troubles in our life, when we have 
things that we're struggling with, then that prayer will genuinely help in order to remove the temptation and thus give us some self-control over what's happening. And of course, when we were chatting beforehand, you did say about spiritual disciplines. Yes. I thought that was a really good one. Yeah, yes. So, as a bus driver, now I was a bus driver when I gave up smoking, there would be a habit that you would get to the end of the journey and the first thing you would do would be to get out of the bus and smoke a cigarette, irrespective of what time you were due back or anything hmm. else. It's just a, a, a habit that you get into. So when I got to the end of the journey, I did change the way that I drove the bus as well. So as I drove it more slowly to give me less time at the end. But it is still a control that makes you, that makes you process that and an ability for, for God to really tell you how to achieve it. Um, but when you get to the end of the journey and you spend time with God instead of time with nicotine, um, it makes a big difference. And I think that some of that, yeah, that's definitely key. So it is a discipline, isn't it, really? It, it you've is, got, but you've got to make this decision it to is, do it. It you? is disciplining yourself to it know. It doesn't happen. You don't get zapped no, to do it. No, you? You've got you, to make you, a decision. There has to be a desire to do yeah. it. And therefore, um, yeah, there are patterns that you can put in place that will enable you to have some discipline, you know, rhythms and routines in life that will certainly help. Well, thank you, David. I wish, wish you every blessing for when you're priesthood in July. And we'll all be it's all right for you. You can one. give a blessing at the moment. I, I can at the moment. I still have I to wait six months. <laughs> yeah, Five it's National months. Women's Day as well today, so I can actually officially give you one as a woman. So thank you, David, very much. And we've all enjoyed your talk. Thank you. <laughs>